Oh, oh, oh. 
It's after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. The candles, they always burn so bright on Friday night. The smell of challah is always right on Friday night. And I know, and I know, it's the start of a special day. Hey, hey, I got my shabbos. Oh, oh, I got my shabbos. Oh, oh, I got my shabbos starting Friday night, every Friday night. I got my shabbos. Friday night, every Friday night. 
scream God's name together. Come on, go. Hashem Hashem Hashem
Yeah, that's all. 
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning. Welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. It's Friday, May Day. <laughs> Big shot calling May 1st, May Day. Uh, it's May the 1st, the 12th of ER, day 27 in the counting of the Omer. Is that uh, three weeks and six days? Yes, it's three weeks and six days. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Is Pesach Shani on Sunday? When is Pesach Shani? Yeah. Pesach Shani's on Sunday. I thought of something this Pesach, and I said to myself, we got to do it on Pesach Shani. And now I can't remember for the life of me what it was. Huh. It was something we spoke about. Doing on Pesach Shani. Did it have to do with JM Sunday with Matis? Maybe, I don't know. Hmm. Anyway, gotta think about it. Uh, day 27 in the counting of the Omer. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas, Achremos, and Kedoshim. Inside Israel, it would be uh, Parshas Emar, but outside Israel, it's Achremos and Kedoshim. Candle lighting at 732. Many synagogues begin earlier. 732 official candle lighting time. Uh, make sure you know when things start where you are. A lot of synagogues begin earlier uh, tonight. 49 degrees outside with 73% humidity. Winds in northeast, 8 miles an hour. Morning clouds, afternoon sun, and a high temperature of 61. And tonight, partly cloudy, low 48. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, a high Shabbos, 68 degrees. All right, now we're talking. Yerushalayim's at 70 with sunny weather. We're at 49. Pretty chilly out there. Not really, but yes, I don't know. Hard to tell. Uh, J.M. and the A.M. at 20 minutes before 7 o'clock. Dan Donovan, who's running in that special uh, congressional race in Staten Island, is going to join us in the 7 o'clock hour. Malcolm Honeline today, our weekly update. We'll talk about the news of the week. See if we can get to the bottom of the uh, Israeli reaction to what happened on the Syrian border this week. We'll have those details for you, I'm sure. <laughs> Israel seems to be denying a whole bunch of it, but whatever, we'll ask Malcolm about that. Uh, weekly update at 7.40, or by Uden, of course, at 8.15. Stay with us all day long on the stream at jmtheam.org. Great Arab Shabbos selections, a cappella style. Uh, Naomi Nachman coming up with a table for two between 9 and 10 o'clock. Lots going on on our stream at jmtheam.org. Amazing weekend programming as well, of course, including Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night with... Uh, of Rummy and Matis with JM Sunday on Pesach Shani. This coming, uh, this coming Sunday morning. AKA Pella had that, uh, collection of selections, uh, Imlavan, Rifa'enu, the TGIF medley, and Vahavienu. Shir Chadash and Hashem Melech performed by 613. They were absolutely brilliant for us in studio yesterday here at JM and the AM. They were just amazing. And, uh, you heard both Shir Chadash and, uh, the Uptown. Oh no, the, um, the Hashem Melech, rather. They were just great yesterday. Uh, if you missed any of the live performance in the studio, there's an archive section of jmnam.org. Go to yesterday's show. It was really amazing. Thank you, 613. Nice group of guys, by the way. Very nice group of guys. Uh, so they were here yesterday. They've released their brand new CD entitled Volume 613. It's their sixth volume, and, you know, you get the whole plan words, I would guess. Um, so we thank them, and of course, a reg- oh, Schlock Capella, uh, Lenny Solomon 
You know, I spoke to Lenny this week, and I wanted to tell him this for the last month, and I keep forgetting to tell him. It's amazing to me that the um, that he releases a schlockapella, and the only song missing, I mean, there's plenty, you know, meaning he did not include the most famous Sphera song that he has. 49 ways, it's 49 ways to count the Omer? Yeah, 49 ways, to, or 49 days to count the Omer. <laughs> 49, I'm thinking of the original song. 49 days to count the Omer. You would think that that would have made it, right? I don't think I brought this up to him yet. Maybe I did at some point. I don't think so. And I meant to mention it to him this week, but I forgot how ironic it is that he releases an album uh, of acapella and the Sphera song that he's uh, probably most famous for in terms of the Sphera period of time is not included. And Regesh Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. By the way, if you're into a really nice minor league baseball experience, our friends at the uh, Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, where we remember, uh, what'd they call it? What did they call it? Um, Chazirei Barzell, right? Yeah, I think they called them Chazirei Barzell. Uh, they're one of the most um, well-run minor league operations in the country. And they have a Jewish Heritage Night coming up on Thursday, June 4th. So, um, you know, circle the calendar. I think there were, last year, there were hundreds of more people at their Lehigh Valley game for Jewish Heritage Night. Lenny was there with Schlockrock, that's why I remember. Um, there were hundreds of more than at most Jewish Heritage Nights in the New York area. It was really an incredible crowd, so anyway... If you're into a road trip from this area, it's really an amazing minor league baseball experience, and it's June the 4th. Uh, we got the notice from Barry Halper this week, and we're going to try to head out there on that day. 16 minutes before 7 o'clock, it's Friday at JM in the AM as we continue. This is from the uh, group that was with us yesterday. Here's 613. <laughs> Nafshi yatsa bedabru Bigashti yu Velo metzati yu Tatakhti Ani ledodi Virodi chamaah Amvar Nafshi yatsa bedabru Bigashti yu Velo metzati yu
That's Cole Ish here at the uh, JM and the AM radio program. Dan Donovan's going to join us. He's running in the special election on Staten Island uh, this coming Tuesday, I believe, right? We'll find out. <laughs> I'll get the details in the next few minutes. Malcolm Holine coming up at 740 with the weekly update. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, and we will talk about the the uh, news of the week coming up. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web. Oh, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Galite Sal in the background. News from Israel is next. Friday morning on day 27 in the counting of the Omer. Three weeks and six days. Date number 27. 
Erev Shabbos, Parshas, Achremos, and Kedoshim. We have a double Parsha here outside of Israel. And, yeah, the election's May 5th on Staten Island. Staten Island DA Dan Donovan running in a special election May 5th to replace Representative Michael Grimm. Candle lighting 732. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 732 official candle lighting time. Galeitz out. Israel Army Radio 2 p.m. newscast follows next. We say Boker Tov from JMA. Galeitzal Ashtaim. Kan Shibel Karmi Mansur. גבר כבן 50 מובהל לבית החולים במצב קשה לאחר שנעקץ על ידי דבורים ברמת הגולן וחווה התקף אלרגיה. כתבנו גיא ורון. גבר בן 50 נעקץ מדבורים במושב בצפון רמת הגולן כתוצאה מתגובה אלרגית הוא איבד דופק. צוות של מגן דוד אדום שהגיע למקום ביצע בו החייאה ומפנה אותו עכשיו במצב קשה כשהוא מורדם ומונשם לבית החולים זיו בצפת. תינוקת נפאלית שלישית נולדה הבוקר בבית החולים הזמני של צהל בנפאל. התינוקת ואימה מטופלות על ידי צוות של חיל הרפואה. מוקדם יותר הובאו 15 מטיילים ישראלים למחנה של המשלחת לאחר שחולצו מההרים. במקביל יצא הבוקר מסוק חילוץ ישראלי לחפש אחר המטייל אור אסרף. כמו כן נערכות סריקות רגליות באזור שבו נראה אסרף לאחרונה. כאן בישראל נערך טקס זיכרון להרוגי האסון בנפאל. במכללת כנרת שם לומדים 150 נפאל. בטקס השתתף גם שגריר נפאל בישראל, פרלד קומר פרסאי. בשבוע שעבר הייתה רעידת אדמה בנפאל, איבדנו הרבה נפשות ואנשים רבים נפצעו. חברתנו, מדינת ישראל, עזרה לנו רבות באבל הלאומי שלנו, שלחה לנו צוותי חילוץ ורופאים שעזרו לנו מאוד. דברי השגריר. רעידת אדמה בעוצמה 7.1 בסולם ריכטר הורגשה בפפואה גינאה החדשה. כתבנו עומר קדרון. הרעידה החזקה הורגשה בסביבות השעה 11:00 לפי שעון ישראל, כ-170 קילומטרים ממזרח למדינת האיים, השוכנת ליד אינדונזיה. גם אתמול התרחשה רעידת אדמה בעוצמה של 6.9 בסולם ריכטר באותו האזור. עד כה לא ידעו על נפגעים או על נזק, וגם פג החשש הקל מפני גלי צונאמי. בתאילנד נמצאו 32 גופות בג'ונגל מרוחק. משטרת תאילנד מסרה כי רוב הגופות שנמצאו הן של תושבים מוסלמים ממיינמר, וסיבת המוות עוד לא ידועה, אך ככל הנראה יש לכך קשר לסחר בבני אדם. לצד הגופות נמצא גם אדם חי אחד כשהוא תשוש ובמצב גופני רע. צעדת אחד במאי, מאות פעילים צעדו מכיכר רבין לסינמטק תל אביב ביוזמת תנועת הפועלים בארץ. כתבנו איתמר קציר שמע אותם. אנחנו באנו פה כדי להוכיח אותנו כמדינה למען הפועל, למען העובד הקשה, למען החברה. צריך לעשות פעם אחד במאי ולהחזיר את הפועלים לעבודה הוגנת של 30 שקל לשעה. אנחנו לא רואים פה את אנשי הפריפריה שהם נפגעים הכי הרבה מהימין הקיצוני, מנתניהו. ולכן אנחנו פה להפגין למען הפריפריה. אלה החדשות שעורכת טל יחזקאלי בצוות נווה וייס ואבי כהן.
But one of us passed away and we've been feeling down. Yet now it seems as though another Jew has been found. Won't you stay with us for Shabbos, Minion Man? I stepped off the bus in Mobile, Alabama. The sun was slowly setting on the bay. Six o'clock on a summer Friday afternoon. Shabbos was an hour away. I walked around the town wondering what to do. Shabbos is no time to be feeling blue. Shop that red closed on the door. There was a minion in the back of a hardware store. Nine men waiting for one more. We ushered in the Shabbos with a beautiful song. The Chazan had a voice that was clear and strong. Sing out as one all Shabbos long. Then Marin came again, I had to be moving now. Shabbos was carried on a song.
Ir Sion Temale, Visham Nashir Shir Chadash, Uvir Nana Nale, Arachman Hanikdash, Isbarach J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, day 27 in the counting of the Omer. Erev Shabbos on this Friday here at J.M. in the A.M. And uh, candle lighting at 7.32. 7.32 is candle lighting time. A lot of synagogues begin earlier than that. Make sure you know when things start where you are. District Attorney of Staten Island, Dan Donovan, is with us live via telephone. He's running on the Republican side for the uh, seat at... Uh, was made available after the res- resignation of uh, Congressman Michael Grimm. The election is this Tuesday, May 5th. The election is this Tuesday. Uh, District Attorney Dan Donovan out on Staten Island. Welcome to JM in the AM. Good to have me, knocking. How are you doing today? Doing great. Nice to speak with you. I was reading this article where it says that uh, the special election happens on Tuesday, but you wouldn't know it in the nation's capital. It says here, Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the House Democrats campaign arm, has quietly but completely thrown in the towel for the contest to represent New York's 11th Congressional District, which includes Staten Island and parts of Brooklyn. Mr. Donovan, what's your reaction to that analysis? Well, it puts fear in my heart, Nagam, because <laughs> I'm afraid my voters think they don't have to come out to vote for me. Oh, good point. Good it's, point. It's going to be a special election. People are used to voting in November. They're not used to coming out in May. So we're doing everything. I ask your listeners to please consider coming out on Tuesday, May 5th, and vote for me. Uh, the people of Staten Island have been very generous to me. I've been their district attorney now for 12 years. My last two elections, I got 68 and nearly 70% of the vote. So we served them well. I want the opportunity to serve your listeners who are in the Brooklyn part of the district. And so I just ask everybody, please, it's so important to come out to vote. If we remember back in 2000, a small county in Florida picked the leader of the free world. That's for uh, sure. When George Bush won down in Florida at those hanging chads. So... I ask everybody to please, please exercise their right and come out to vote on May 5th. Uh, you know, the, it, so, so, so many people speak about gridlock in Washington. What can a member of Congress accomplish now, especially a newcomer, uh, to Congress when things are as deadlocked as they are? Uh, th- does it take away any of the thrill and ambition of heading to Washington when you continue to read and hear about that type of situation there? No, not really, because uh, in my situation now, there's 13 members of Congress that make up the delegation from New York City. Presently, 12 Democrats are in office, and there's this one vacant seat. So we have a wonderful opportunity to get some things done, because I will be the lone Republican in the city of New York's delegation at a time when the Republicans control both the House of Representatives and the United States Senate. So there's a reason why Democrats, independents, conservatives, Republicans, there's a good reason for all of your viewers to, and listeners to, to, to vote for me, because we have a wonderful opportunity. To, that's a rare opportunity, Malcolm, but it, it's one that's available to us now. In addition to Staten Island, what areas of Brooklyn, especially those of interest uh, to our listeners, does the district include? Well, it includes Bay Ridge and Bensonhurst. It includes Dyker Heights at Bath Beach and Gravesend. It's the southern tier of Brooklyn. Uh, when you look at your uh, at your years as district attorney, what would you say your greatest accomplishment has been in that position? I, th- I think what we've been able to do is Staten Island, according to FBI statistics, is the safest community
community in the safest big city in all of America. Uh, the New York City Police Department and the men and women that serve there done a wonderful job. But I think a, a lot of the credit has to go to the people in my office who have done a wonderful job in keeping our community safe. I'm most proud of that. And, uh, you know, it's bittersweet thinking that I'm going to leave all that uh, into someone else's hands. But I think we've, we've set a foundation, a groundwork there that uh, we'll continue, the office will continue that good work without me for many years to come. Well, if you go the way things uh, are expected to go on Tuesday, then I'm sure there'll be a a big presence of your congressional office in Staten Island. But I don't want to put the car cart before the horse, if you know what I mean. No, no, I'm a little, not superstitious, but cautiously optimistic, I've been telling everyone. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, thank God, the uh, for in for your sake, the uh, the polls certainly look like they're heading in your direction. I, I, w- I should assume, and let's remind our listeners, just like you've encouraged them uh, to vote on Tuesday, I assume the polls will be open during the traditional times from 6 a.m. till 9 p.m.? And the same voting place that everyone votes in November, that's where they'll, they'll be able to vote this Tuesday. And there's nothing that can be done about the low turnout, right? I mean, there's, there's, we complain about low turnouts in elections that, you know, include a lot of candidates and are done on traditional election days. There's no reason to expect that there would be anything more than a very low turnout this coming Tuesday. Yeah, it's sad, Nakam, but that's, that's, that's the truth. The last governor's race last year, only 20, 28% of New Yorkers voted. In the mayor race in 2013, only 24% of the people came out to vote. It, it's sad because we have a great right. Of, it's a privilege to select our leaders. There are parts of the world where that's not true, um, and people don't take advantage of it. So it, it's sad but true. So we're working from now until next Tuesday at 9 o'clock when the polls close to get every voter out that we can. Hey, DA, before I let you go and wish you good luck, uh, we have a lot of listeners on Staten Island, as you know. How about a word about how incredible the Jewish community is out there on the island? Let me tell you how incredible they are. First of all, they've been some of my biggest supporters. And a little surprise for you, I'm going to meet with your brother, Rabbi Nate Siegel, tomorrow. All right. Oh, you're going to be heading to synagogue. I'm going to the synagogue tomorrow. All right. Send my best regards. Fantastic. I'll, I'll, I'll let him know you're asking for him. <laughs> for sure. He has incredible membership, and as you know, there are a lot of uh, fantastic synagogues and wonderful organizations that are doing great work on Staten Island, and I'm sure that makes you very proud. Oh, it's absolutely. We, we, it's so incredible, the work that the Jewish community does for Staten Island, the charitable work. Uh, I visited before the high holidays of uh, the groups of, in the Jewish community feeding the people who are less fortunate than us for the holidays. It's just a wonderful feeling, a wonderful community. Well, no doubt. They have great leadership and a lot of wonderful people there. I want to wish you good luck, DA. I hope it goes well on Tuesday. Good luck. We remind everybody to vote. Special election. Parts of Brooklyn, as uh, DA Dan Donovan just outlined for us earlier, and, of course, the entire Staten Island. You are all heading to the polls this coming Tuesday between 6 a.m. and 9 p.m. It is an important seat, obviously. It's the United States House of Representatives, uh, a very important seat. Thanks so much, Dan, and good luck to you. Thank you for having me, Malcolm. Have a great show. I appreciate that. 7.31, Friday morning, JM in the AM, at 29 minutes before 8 o'clock. Special election is Tuesday. Everybody get out there and vote. The entire island, Staten Island, and the neighborhoods mentioned by Dan Donovan. And as I said, I mean, I, it would be unfair to emphasize this, I'll, I'll try to say it in as understated a way as possible. The reason it would be unfair to emphasize it is because we don't want to discourage people from voting. Uh, but, but it seems, based on all the articles we've read, that the, uh, that, that he looks like a shoo-in. But you know what they say, never take anything for granted.
That's why they play the game. That's why they go to the polls. Never take it for granted. Anyway, uh, no matter who you want to vote for, make sure to head to the polls if you're in that district for the special election this coming Tuesday. 7.32, 28 minutes before 8 o'clock with 49 degrees, morning clouds, afternoon sun, and a high temperature of 61. We're at 49 right now, and this is the Yeshiva Boys Choir at JM in the AM.
Shua. <laughs> 
with the Yeshiva Boys Choir. Friday morning on this day 27 in the counting of the Omer. Pesach Sheni is Sunday. I'm assuming Matis will be serving matzah at the JM Sunday program starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on our stream at jmtheam.org.
Uh, Erev Shabbos Parsha Zacharymos and Kedoshim in Israel. It's uh, one Parsha, Emor. Candle lighting 732. A lot of synagogues begin earlier than that. 732 official candle lighting time. Big thank you to our friends at JewishWorldview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend our incredible, and I mean incredible, 24-hour live stream to all their readers. If you want to print out thousands, and that might not be an exaggeration, thousands of incredible articles about Israel, the world, um, different articles on so many different topics, important to our listeners. Uh, before Shabbos, go to jewishworldreview.com, an excellent place to start. A lot of stuff on the World Wide Web, that's a good place to start. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, good morning to you and to all the listeners. I guess it would be wrong to put this in the good news category because obviously it's the aftermath of such a terrible natural disaster and thousands of people have lost their lives and tens of thousands it will be, uh, will have suffered injuries in this terrible earthquake, but I guess in the nice news department or the silver lining department, can you describe for us the reaction of the government of Israel, the people of Israel, and the members of the Israel Defense Forces after the Nepal earthquake? Uh, yes, and I think uh, what's remarkable is that Israel is, again, the first on the ground, and the field hospital, which was put together so quickly, and obviously nobody could anticipate it, but because of Israel's own challenges, they have developed a rapid response capacity that uh, is unmatched. And some, uh, I saw on some line, online comments about uh, the reporting on this, that it's boasting and Israel's showing off. Israel's not showing off. I think it's setting an example. And, and the fact that you had multiple responses by different organizations, by the army, by the uh, the, the establishment of the field hospital with 269 doctors going immediately and hit the ground running, uh, operating within the, the hospital was operational within 12 hours. The search and rescue teams, others who were there with their, the dogs and with the uh, special equipment that Israel has developed to uh, and was used in Kenya, was used in other instances um, to try to help detect any survivors. So I think the the mobilization by people who donated, individuals who donated blankets, food, money, uh, to the uh, actions of the government are really uh, truly in keeping with Jewish values, Jewish tradition, and that those who are embarrassed that we discuss it, too bad. Exactly. There were two graphs that I saw, that I saw, one that showed the amount of money that was coming in from different countries around the world. Obviously, Israel can't match some of the aid in that regard, but then it spoke about personnel, numbers of people that went, and Israel was number one on that list in terms of numbers of people that went to help out. That's right, and remember, that is a cost. It's, it's, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> a lot of expenses. Quantifiable necessarily. Yeah. A lot of expenses. Right, and, and it's not quantifiable, perhaps in the same way as uh, you know outright contributions, which, by the way, you know the Jewish communities around the world have also right. uh, mobilized to to help. Did you uh, were you in touch at all, or did you hear anything that we would not have heard just by casually uh, watching the uh, social media and the news about the Chabad House and the Israeli embassy and how they handled everything in the aftermath? Well, the Chabad house was damaged, but they continued to function throughout and were providing hot meals. And people said it was truly miraculous how uh, the rabbi and the rebbitzin there uh, were able to continue, even though they didn't have electricity. 
but somehow they managed to continue to provide for uh, people who were there. Obviously, supplies are very short, and uh, this was in the immediate aftermath of it, but the, they continued to function, and many people found uh, sanctuary in the courtyards. It's unbelievable, I'll tell you. Uh, the resilience that some of those shlichim have around the world is just incredible. Uh, no, no task too great. They'll, they'll take on the earthquake if they have to. And in this case, we see they did. By the way, the, I, I believe the teenager that was saved yesterday after 80 hours under the rubble, I believe that that life was attributed to the Israeli force that was there. I think they got credit for finding the teenager that was found yesterday. Yeah, according to some of the reports, that's yeah. the case. And um, uh, the whole thing is remarkable. Also, and I'm not getting into halacha, politics, or anything else. The reality is that that um, these babies, these uh, uh, these babies of Israeli parents who had surrogates in Nepal, uh, were rescued by Israel. And uh, and the majority, if not all, I, I don't think we could say all at this point of travelers. Uh, of tourists, of those who are backpacking through that area. Uh, I believe the ma- the vast majority of them were saved and are back in Israel. Am I right? Yes. Uh, they were airlifted almost immediately uh, back on the plane that brought the initial uh, equipment to, to Thailand. Uh, and the the whole story of the surrogate mothers, unfortunately, has now yeah. become a central focus. It's something, frankly, I was not aware of and did not know the magnitude of it. Uh, it's really quite a story in and of itself. It really is. Unbelievable. Very complicated world out there, that's for sure. Malcolm Holmline with us. We are conducting the weekly update here at JMDM. What was your reaction when you heard that there will be a Freedom Flotilla number 3 that's going to be heading to Gaza this summer? No, we knew that they had been working on it. They uh, at different parties had said that they would do it last year. The group behind it uh, receives funding, and, and Turkey certainly seems to be encouraging these kind of actions to test Israel and the uh, resolve to, to maintain the security uh, zone that Israel's created, warranted certainly by the continued inflow of weapons. And we see that Hamas has received tens of millions of dollars from Iran, uh, as has uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad and others, but most importantly, money that has gone to rebuilding the tunnels, not to helping the people, that the cement that Israel was forced by, including some of those who backed these flotillas and kept complaining that Israel didn't allow in, which it, it, it did, but in in a contained manner so as to assure what the final disposition of the cement was. We know that it's going into the into these tunnels. They, they are boasting about them, uh, tunnels that will cross uh, into Israel, uh, obviously, and secondly, that the missile technology has been improved, and some of the parts, other things, have to be smuggled in by sea. Huh. So maintaining this, and, and as you know, Egypt has strictly maintained the control on its borders. Um, the uh, the the concern is, of course, that the flotilla is going to bring in items that are going to be used either for terror purposes or actual weapons. Right? We are not. It's not just concrete, which you know one could argue is being used either for a benevolent purpose or for a terror purpose. But there could be actual weapons that are snuck in on this thing, right? Weapons. They're not the ones who are going to bring in the cement, but uh, uh, they they will bring in uh, supposedly humanitarian relief. Right. Right. But but it's a fake. As you know, last time the drugs were all outdated. This was a, a sham. It was only meant to create a political controversy and a confrontation, and they will seek a confrontation this time as well. And I think the Israeli Navy learned from the last uh, instance and will um, 
act on it. As you saw, the United Nations this week issued reports, and we know that there will be, if if there's a confrontation, they'll have more reports and more investigations. We had the release of the Secretary General's Board of Inquiry. Only twice have there been releases of Boards of Inquiry, uh, and only once with a cover letter by the statement, as we saw this week by the Secretary General, and both of those instances were about Israel. Let me let me read this, and and then please comment further on it, just so people understand what's going on, because there's so much happening in this world, and so much violence, and so many and so many mass killings and executions. You've described them week after week, and this is what the UN is concentrating on. A United Nations Board of Inquiry has found that Israel was responsible for the damage to seven UN facilities in the Gaza Strip over the course of Operation Protective Edge, according to an abstract of its report released Monday by Secretary General Ban Ki-moon. The report also found that three U.N. facilities were used by Palestinian militant groups for storing weapons and for shooting rockets and mortar shells. He announced in November of 2014 that an internal independent board of inquiry be established to probe the damage caused to various installations in Gaza over the course of the war. Am I right that there would not be this type of scrutiny and not this type of investigation if it was any other country? Absolutely. The, the United Nations Human Rights Council, the United Nations Security Council, the United Nations Status on Women singles out one country repeatedly, one country. And you have such massive violations of human rights going on uh, all over the world. If we, we take a look at just you know what's happened lately in Iran, the, the executions going on in other countries, what, let alone the hundreds of thousands of dead in Syria, and yet this is the focus. And, and what's interesting here, and people should remember, is that the testimonies that in most cases came from people who were in those camps, meaning they're Palestinians. And we know that journalists were uh, impeded from telling the truth as they were there and, and reporting. And, and when they came out, they then said, well, of course, there were rockets launched from hospitals and launched from these buildings. So they, that the first time, though, that UNRWA and the schools, the Palestinians, were reprimanded for uh, right. placing rockets and firing rockets from within uh, hospital uh, within uh, UNRWA schools, UN schools, and that Israel uh, responded to attacks that came from the courtyards of those schools, came from places uh, nearby, and the, the they relied on the fact that somebody who was there, Palestinians who were there, would testify and give and report the the truth, which in many instances they didn't. So I would not take even these findings as serious, but they. If, if you look at the New York Times headline and others, it, it is as if it's only a one-sided condemnation. And if you look at the numbers, when they say that uh, they killed 44 civilians, it's a lot less than what the Palestinians had claimed. And, uh, and in fact, many of those people may not have died in those circumstances. Yeah. Also a lot less than... Uh than the enemy wanted to kill on Israel's side. Thank God we had the, uh, you know, the technology and the, uh, the wherewithal and the one above to protect, uh, the citizens of Israel during that war. But, uh, yeah, one would, one would have to assume they were trying to do a lot of damage. And that's one of the reasons that Israel made sure to go in and take care of things. But anyway. Uh, any closer to an Israeli government, uh, by Lagba Omer, by 8 p.m. Israel time Wednesday night, which is just around the start of Lagba Omer, there's supposed to be a new government in place. Will the deadline be, uh, uh be kept? Uh, yes, I think it, 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 there's always this last minute rush. Uh, I think that the Prime Minister, having signed United Torah Judaism in Kulanu, uh, the question is, will it be a, a 61 or 67 seat government? What's it now with you, TJ? It, right now it's 61. Okay. Assuming everybody else falls in line. You're right, meaning if Bayat, UD, and Shas go like they're supposed to. Right. 
Right. And the the question is whether Lieberman's party, which right. I believe will also fall in place. He has five or six. He would be the, pri- the foreign minister again. He has six seats or five? Is it five? Six. Six. So, so it would bring it to 67. It's a difference between 61 and 67. And uh, I think the likelihood is you'll, you'll get to the 67. He wants that extra cushion, but uh, he's going to have to pay a price for it. And for those who wonder why someone like this, with a quote-unquote overwhelming victory, cannot establish a government in the 70s and 80s in terms of seats, if you see what's going on in terms of negotiation just to get to the 60s, it's impossible. I mean, with with the number of cabinet positions and the deals that have to be made and the laws that he's going to have to try to repeal, it's impossible. Well, he could have gone into uh, more easily if he went to a national unity government right. and brought in uh, labor and they would have, and together with Kulano or Lapita or one other, they really would have had a majority. Uh, but he, he the, the, I don't think there was a prospect right now of that happening. Uh, it is not impossible that sometime later on in the term that will be necessary. Why does always the opposite seem to happen? It never seems that it goes in that direction of adding seats to a government. It always seems like it always goes in the direction of falling apart and calling for new elections. Yes, and I'm saying, first of all, I don't think the people of Israel and any party wants to be responsible because they're tired of these elections. Right, but... political system. I don't remember... Have you... sell right now, and they have... And, and you know, uh, uh, Nahum, the, the, the need right now is so great for unity, given the pressures. We know that in the United Nations we're moving towards the possibility of a French resolution and, and no U.S. veto. We're looking at Iran's uh, expansion, the, the more intense role in the Golan of uh, Hezbollah and IRGC. We see the, the, the collapse of Assad. We see so many things where it's essential that there be a united front of Israel and that the government of Israel be free to act decisively and be focused on these critical um, issues. Right, and who would dare disagree with you? That's why I say that, that instead, I, I don't remember ever, uh, and maybe you know of a precedent, where in the midterm, you know, months after the election was was finalized, that uh, the, the prime minister was trying to negotiate to add more people into the government, or others tried to create more of a larger unity government. I just don't remember that ever happening. Yeah, in times of crisis, they have formed unity governments to, to uh, address uh, either economic crisis or, or foreign uh, threats. And certainly right now, we are facing uh, an array of issues uh, and the changes that are taking place of such significance, you know, what, what's happening in Saudi Arabia right now with the change of governments, people hardly even look at it, but it's, it's, uh, uh, it's an earthquake in terms of, of what's happening. And in Syria, you have a dramatic change in terms of the, the diminution of, the role of, of Assad's standing right now and Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and Turkey providing more weapons to the rebels they took Idlib, which is very critical, and areas in Damascus. People are, are already foreseeing the beginning of the end, uh, and uh, you're going to see uh, Hezbollah play, play more of a role now, and, and therefore, which may be good news because they won't be able to be more involved in the Golan right now. Right. But the, the, these developments, which you know, are not distant uh, to Israel. People might think Saudi Arabia is far away. It isn't. And the ramifications could be felt in uh, Gaza. It could be felt in arms shipments. It could be felt in changed uh, atmosphere. This this new government is not going to go after the Muslim Brotherhood anymore. They, they are going to move much more conservative. They're going to reverse some of the, quote, concessions that have been made, unquote, you know, meaning 
it's all relative. The fact that, uh, uh, that you had a woman, uh, the highest-ranking woman, who was a deputy education minister, was removed. She's been there since 2009 and was the symbol of change, that the uh, religious police are being given much more power and that this uh, government is even cooperating in some ways with Qatar, which they hate, and they hate each other. Um, so they could have very broad ramifications. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Malcolm Holmline, our guest, of course, where the, the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Um, the demonization of Assad that you mentioned, obviously I understand politically why it matters, and but does it really matter? In other words, while he's still in power, does it, does it really matter that he's being challenged to the degree that he is? It seems like it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem to affect him much. Oh, it, it will affect him a lot. Now, it, it, as I said, since this fighting began, and we discussed dozens of times, as long as he held Aleppo and Damascus, right. he could stay in power. Right. He might be able to have a small cut-out area for the Alawites, you know, around Latakia, and, and the Russians would probably protect it because they have their base there. But this is very significant because the rebels uh, will get additional support, and um, it will put the United States in uh, in a very uh, in a more complicated position. How much more complicated can it get for them at this point? We haven't known whether we should support Assad or not for, for God knows Part how long. The reaction of those countries was against the United States. They're tired of the U.S. Building. Right. And the, and the failure to target the, the, the IS has killed thousands of people outside the battles. And you, you see um, uh, that Hezbollah was playing more of a role in and giving the orders in the defense of Assad. So think of the ramifications of that and, and the, the fact that you have Hezbollah tied down now, but Iran losing, potentially losing a main ally, uh, could cause them to escalate things in other areas if they want the diversion that's easy for them to do, especially in the Golan where we know that there have been these, uh, these clashes. Um, and Soleimani of the IRGC went to Beirut. People think it was to, to coordinate the attacks. It wasn't. It was to restrain Hezbollah because the last thing Iran wants now is to give Israel a pretext to smash them and to, uh, you know, have uh, Israel choose the time and place, not in response to rocket attacks, but because of provocation. Yeah, but if the if the news and, and the reports are true of this missile and rocket buildup on the northern border, then isn't that a pr- provocation enough for Israel to respond and try to wipe them out? Yes, but nobody, neither side wanted to have an escalation as long as it was a mutual interest to keep the borders quiet. The question is, are they keeping the borders quiet? And we know there's more and more activity uh, along the Golan, the earth moving equipment, other attempts, and the uh, and Soleimani's message was restraint, hold back, don't do it. Uh, they want them uh, to to fight in uh, in in, in Syria itself, and more than five thousand Hezbollah troops are, are actively fighting and uh, actually leading the fight for Assad. So this shift that takes place, whether if Assad falls or uh, is even driven to to a different uh, posture, meaning in in an isolated area, it doesn't mean the problems will be solved. I think Syria is not coming back together again. You're not going to see all of a sudden emergence. I think you'll see chaos and uh, factionalism, and that can lead, as we know, into unknown 
consequences of people coming together, coalitions. They can increase terrorism. You can do many other things that uh, uh, can come about. And the Iranians, who all along have said they would not let Assad fall, the Russians, who invested so much, both of them will will have to make very uh, quick decisions about the degree, how far do they stick with them and and, uh, with, with him, and how much do they invest yet in it? Maybe a silly question, but how, how did Israel know that these terrorists over the weekend were trying to plant those bombs on the border with Israel uh, before the Israeli Air Force supposedly, I know they're officially denying it, before they went ahead and retaliated? Was it, was it satellite? Was it intelligence? Was it you know seeing it from towers? How did they find them? Uh, what I know uh, is that uh, they were seen, and Israel has drones flying over the area, Israel has satellites that focus on this, but you know that that's a question of timing. But the drones fly pretty regularly. They saw the group. It was not just an individual; it was a group. Right. They were uh, planting the bomb, and they caught them in the act uh, and eliminated them. And this airstrike that happened uh, in retaliation on the, on the missile bases in Syria was co- was called a bullseye. It was called a very very successful operation. Uh, I assume you've heard the same. Uh, I'm being I'm being tongue in cheek only because Israel continues to deny that they had a role in it. That's all. That that's right. And the in and the place that they did not hit had rockets that were being stored for transfer to to Lebanon. Some people say that they actually hit a convoy earlier. Right. That it was already moving. And one report, unconfirmed, but said that there were S three hundred missiles there, which would have been a very significant, very significant hit. Uh, but again, it didn't take place, so we don't know. Right, or at least it didn't take place by the Israelis. But in all seriousness, this was a really important um, uh, reaction operation. This was a very they they accomplished a lot with this retaliation on uh, over the weekend. Well, number one, it sends a message both about Israeli intelligence, about their ability to strike in, in very pinpoint ways, and it sends a message to the um, to the uh, Syrians. And, and the message to the world is that they don't strike back, meaning that they don't have the capacity to hit back. They don't want an escalation. They are. They don't want to, at this point, give Israel the pretense on, on either front, neither from the uh, Hezbollah side nor from the, the Syrian side. So the, their activities continue in the Golan, and certainly the Iranians are going to not diminish their, fo- their focus there. But I think the, the fact that you don't have... A response doesn't mean there aren't attempts uh, to do so, but it doesn't happen. Senator Mark, Senator Marco Rubio, Florida is demanding a vote on an amendment that would press Iran to recognize the state of Israel, threatening a fragile bipartisan coalition that already fashioned a compromise bill, giving Congress a voice in the Iran nuclear talks. Now, I know every Republican candidate is trying to prove that they are more pro-Israel than the others. Uh, is is this a, uh, a is this symptomatic of that? Is Rubio uh, is stretching it a bit, thinking that he's going to get a, an amendment that would force Iran to recognize the state of Israel? Or would this have happened even if election season was not building up? Well, he has said this before, but so has Prime Minister Netanyahu put this as one of the demands he wanted to see. A lot of people thought it was not realistic and it was uh, tangential to the to the essential agreement. Uh, but the message really is that Iran can't continue to threaten the existence of the Jewish state, that the uh, Zarif, the representative, can sit and in, in interviews in New York and make the most arrogant and horrendous 
statements, focusing on Israel's nuclear program, talking about uh, Saudi Arabia. They condemned Saudi Arabia recently for the attacks in Yemen and said, what do you think they are, Israel? <laughs> they're, they're coming back to yeah. this attack. But, uh, you know, uh, to me, by the way, one of the most disturbing things and it, and it shows that, that there's a lack of understanding of the significance of symbolism, especially in the Middle East. When uh, Zarif met with Kerry, Secretary Kerry, uh, they met not at the U.N. and not at ambas- U.S. Ambassador Powers' residential office, but at the residence of the Iranian ambassador to the U.N. Wow. And, you know, this was reported, got almost no reaction. I, I made some phone calls, and I said, I, I can't believe this. Why would you do that? Because in the Middle East, that has great symbolism. It will have, I think, here, too. And the, the, the uh, arrogance with which Zarif uh, asserted himself, he said that the, the whole the snapback is, uh, is impossible, something we generally agree with, um, and, and uh, refuting all the claims that uh, have come, including just yesterday by uh, Vice President Biden, about the agreement will close the plutonium track and it will uh, snap back uh, provisions will be in place uh, for the U.N. sanctions. And the, the Zarif is saying, you know what we're going to do as soon as they sign the deal? We're going to the U.N. Mm. and we're going to get them to remove the uh, the sanctions and every country will be uh, bound by it also talking about they won't snap back the the sanctions they won't uh, lift all the sanctions that congress and others approve but there's a hundred billion dollars in funds much of it held by china russia and others that could be released uh, portions of it could be released which would give them uh, immediate relief and you know that there are uh, hotels and in, in Tehran are, are full of businessmen just trying to negotiate deals to be to be ahead of the curve. From what countries? All over. Including the U.S.? Or we're not allowed? Even the U.S.? Yeah, they're not signing the deals. Right. They're just preparing the deals. Right. And when you, you, you see the chutzpah of Iran in, in taking the ship, the Maersk um, Tigris, you know, the United States is treaty-bound to protect the Marshall Islands. It's a protectorate of, of U.S. And we are... we. we handle their defense, right. and that includes their shipping. Mm-hmm. So uh, assaulting a ship, firing across its bow in international waters um, of a ship under U.S. control would have been reason certainly t- to stop the talks and to demand the immediate release. The ship was not released, as people said. It was taken, it was boarded and taken to a uh, an Iranian port, and then uh, yesterday another Mask ship the, uh, was also uh, stopped the Livingston uh, that was released, but the 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 chutzpah and the the continuing uh, activities harassing shipping uh, uh, with their fast boats and submarines in the, in the Gulf, the threat to close the Straits of Hormuz, the, uh, all of these things, and then the British reported to to a UN panel that the sanctions panel that Iran is in violation and trying to bypass the the restrictions with nuclear procurement uh, a nuclear procurement program meaning buying uh, parts for it and a second from two blacklisted companies and a second country supposedly reported that they try to buy compressors which is a key component to the nuclear program and yesterday Harf, the Marie Harf, the spokeswoman at the State Department was pressed by uh, Mitchell Lee of AP I think um, and she said in the end that the U.S. was aware of the cheating, 
that Washington raises the concerns, but Iran cheating is not a violation of the JPOA, of the of the joint uh, pact, the agreement. Now, how how can that not be a violation of the agreement? Then uh, Total I don't know what would be a violation if they're blatantly uh, continuing to import and and violating the sanctions. It just it just doesn't make any any sense. And the um, and the statement by Zarif, where he lays out, and and you know many of the leaders in the Middle East say, look, we believe the Iranians. We see on the ground what. Uh, what he says, he he mocked the snapback. He said it's not even possible that the uh, and he said he doesn't care what Senator Cotton wants. Uh, the the UN resolution was mandatory. Remember, Cotton led the the letter for 47 senators to the Iranian leaders saying whatever they sign doesn't mean anything right now. What, what would the snapback do if they violate the deal? So snapback really means that we can that we will lift sanctions. We're not. Uh, removing them, we're not canceling them. And if they violate, they go back on. That they would go back on, but but it 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 doesn't work that way. It, it would take months, maybe a year, to to start up again right. uh, sanctions. Hopefully, countries won't rush into into this. But you know that they will. The foreign minister of Australia was just there, Julie Bishop, and she signed four deals on, on different things, not in violation yet of the sanctions accord, but on intelligence sharing, other things. But it's seen as symbolically very significant that Australia, who was one of the strong parties in all of this, um, would would uh, go there and be seen, you know, wearing uh, her head covered, etc. Oh boy, we're losing and yet them. Also, you have a Washington Post reporter sitting there since July, and nothing is done. He's in Evan Prison, which is a terrible place, and and there's nothing. I mean, how is that that they can get away with all this? And that's why, you know, we lose credibility. Usually there's a lot of publicity when someone of that magnitude is being held. Well, there has been publicity, but, but again, uh, people just don't care and don't understand and, you know, focused on other... Uh, yeah, but that, that should be an issue that the White House is dealing with directly. I mean, Absolutely. Uh, Joe Biden, the vice president, with his demand about access to the military sites in Iran, is that realistic? Is that is that going to be a demand of the U.S. as part of this deal or not? Well, it was supposed. It's been a demand all along, and it was a requirement for the International Atomic Energy Agency. But they have been banned and barred from the uh, from the military sites. And Khamenei said the military sites are off uh, limits. This is not going to happen. It's a red line, and the administration keeps saying, and, and Biden said it yesterday that that, that will be included. I don't see how you come to a final agreement when, <laughs> when you know, you have people saying the, directly the opposite things. And the problem is that the, it, the concessions appear to be all one-sided, that we see the, the constant uh, movement by the West uh, towards, uh, you know, towards the, the, the Iranian side. And the feeling that Iran has, according to many of the analysts, that they know the United States wants this deal at any cost, and that the uh, that they could get away with taking the ship or the reporter and testing and constantly probing and and then demeaning the snapback and and um, uh, all of the other provisions that they have uh, they have talked about 
is is indicative of, of why you see the independent movement of of countries making their own decisions because they don't believe the the West is is the United States particularly is is relevant today. And by the way, you mentioned earlier what really got you angry, and I think it was in reference to the meeting you know taking place in Iranian home territory, so to speak, the way you described it. Uh, what got me angry this week was when I heard that the certain people living in Israel felt it was important to fly the ISIS flag on Israel Independence Day. What do you think of that? And by the way, <laughs> and by the way, why don't we offer that they can go join ISIS? Like, why? Not? Absolutely, they're free to go. Yeah, but but Israel should encourage them. I guess it can't, right? It's a democracy, and we got a lot of everybody voice their opinion. But I, I would encourage them to go and join. If, if ISIS is so amazing and remarkable to the point where you would support them and hail their achievements, then go join them. And you know that we've had demonstrations here, especially the BDS the demonstrations, and. We've had uh, resolutions on many campuses. Again, it, it was beaten at the University of Texas, but at Princeton, a, a resolution was defeated, but by a vote of 52 to 48, with over 2,000 of their undergraduates voting. Now the graduate students are supposed to vote, and we're afraid the outcome will be a different one. Oh, boy. Um, why, the, why the more intelligent you get, the... Uh... <laughs> no. Uh, but <laughs> but the, as you climb the academic scale, things get even well, more murky. That they 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 can fly. That in some instances they brought out uh, ISIS type flags, and as part of demonstration, uh, even swastikas painted on buildings. I know that the AEPI uh, Jewish fraternities have reported. I think fourteen of their facilities have been attacked since September, since the beginning of uh, the school year, and. The, the number of resolutions, and thank God in many places defeated, but also passed in some places, doesn't necessarily lead to, to and universities, uh, you know, generally reject it, the administrations uh, reject it, but it, it's not insignificant that one country, the one democracy, the one place, and, and when the UN uh, Council on Women uh, for the Rights of Women picks out of 193 countries, one country to condemn after 30 women are elected to the Knesset. Mm. And certainly rights of women far better than 99.9% than of the other countries in the United Nations. And then and they are singled out. And these issues then take on a life of their own. Uh, and you see that the, there's no condemnation of all these other countries who are, are uh, moving backwards now as Saudi Arabia uh, will and we have to see what will happen in, in uh, other countries as a result. But th- this it's just the hypocrisy and the uh, uh, lack of honesty. It shouldn't be shocking, but each time it just uh, reminds us again and again why we have to stand together. We can't afford the disunity. We have to be activists and, and be on top of the issues. And if anything we learned from this week... Baltimore, Maryland, not to compare a situation, but if anything we learned, you know, so- social media can bring people to a decision, very often a wrong decision in, a, in an instant these days. And that's why we can never let our guard down. And I'm not talking about reacting to violence. I'm talking about what you were just speaking about in terms of protests against Israel on campuses, etc. If you let your guard down these days, forget it, because all you need is a few seconds for the, uh, for the other side, for the enemy, for those who want to uh, cause trouble. Uh, the opportunity, and, and it happens in an instant. And uh, I do want to give some good news that this week uh, I was in Texas for a few hours to launch uh, the Hispanic, National Hispanic Israel Alliance, um, uh, undertaken by the largest association of Hispanic uh, churches, and, and it's both American, 41,118 audited churches in the United States are part of this movement now, and more than 500,000 worldwide. 
members of Canela, who are mobilizing and organizing uh, in support of Israel and joining uh, great friends like Kufai and others uh, in, in a really critical alliance and in, in, in standing together with the Jewish community uh, on, on Israel. Why do you think that there is such a large segment of the Hispanic population that is leaning in that direction? Is it because of their religious affiliation? These are uh, largely evangelicals. A third of the Hispanic community in America is evangelical, or are evangelicals, uh, or affiliated with evangelical churches, uh, and they tend to be, as you know, very supportive of Israel, but not to be taken for granted. We've seen it in other parts, how much effort uh, being made by Palestinians, by others, uh, to infiltrate and, in fact, this thing grew out of a reaction to such an, a, 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 an attempt to, to um, uh, obfuscate the real intention. And when people who went on our America's Voices in Israel program to Israel saw what was happening in the association of one of their leaders with an event that is actually a very hostile anti-Israel event, though on its surface would appear to be just a religious uh, gathering, when they found out the reality, they went back, they, they convinced him not to go, and uh, instead he announced he would go to Israel, and out of that grew this incredible effort. And it's, uh, uh, we, we are working in every community, and everybody listening has a responsibility to reach out to others at work, at other places. You know, that, that was, our studies show that the pro-Israel numbers go up three times, 300%. When people talk about Israel, and therefore they have to educate themselves, yeah. the Daily Alert, the Jewish World Review, all these other sources. J.M. and the A.M. And, of course... You know, it's funny because, um, first of all, on, on your first point, the... Uh, the uh, now I've lost my train of thought, I can't believe it. <laughs> on the, the first point, a, 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 a major Jewish philanthropist said to me this week that he firmly believes that the Hispanic vote, the majority of the Hispanic vote in this country, could go Republican. I was very skeptical to hear him say that, but based on what you just said in terms of the numbers affiliated with the evangelical church, that there is, uh, you know, for those who want to see it go Republican, there is hope. The immigration issue is a huge issue, obviously, in all parts of the Hispanic community, but if the Republicans uh, play it smart, they they certainly could make major inroads. We know the Cuban... uh, uh, for instance, Cubans tended to be more Republican. And you remember uh, Lana Wasleyton, who's a Republican member of Congress uh, from uh, Florida and others. Uh, who, uh, so, again, we tend to look at communities monolithic. It isn't true. And we have to understand them. We have to know the differences. We have to, just as they, trying to look at the Jewish community, think that we are one united block. If only they knew. Yeah. The, um, Was that of us to continue to show that we are, in fact, united over the critical issues. Yeah, and by the way, in a private conversation, and you and I don't speak uh, off the air as often as we speak on the air, but you, you said to me this week, or you may, maybe you agreed with what I have said, uh, a lot of people care out there, a lot of people care, and you meet a lot of people, and I meet a lot of people who care in our community, but not enough people get involved, not enough people do. And if we can convince more people to do, then you know it'll be a much easier battle to fight. Absolutely, and in many ways. It, uh, I have to say I was in Livingston, I was in uh, Fairlawn Edison, uh, very big turnout of people. I think people are deeply uh, interested. They sat for a long time in both instances to, to hear, and um, we have to especially educate our youth. And as many times as we say it on the show, I still run into this buzzsaw every place we go in, in 
Orthodox and non-Orthodox communities alike about the, the lack of knowledge of our kids and, and not preparing them for, for realities. And, and when they look at what's happening in Europe, how many of our kids really understand that would mobilize like we did for Soviet Jury for other communities? You know, there are communities in danger. We, we have everyday exchanges with different communities in Europe. Uh, I will be going to visit uh, another area where uh, Jews are, are in danger this coming week. Uh, and unfortunately, there are just more and more of them. Look at the situation in South America today. You saw that the the um, uh, charges that are being brought against leaders of the Jewish community by an individual supposedly, but it follows charges by high-ranking Argentinian officials against the leaders of the established uh, community, and it's part of uh, of their drive in the post after the killing of uh, Nisman. The prosecutor who is going after the president and foreign minister, a foreign minister who has uh, Jewish roots, uh, resigned publicly and irrevocably from the community and charged them also. And they're using words like treachery and treason, things that uh, carry real uh, serious consequences and, and can incite a public. And we know that in Argentina, uh, we've had it in the past. So yeah. this is uh, people have to understand the true nature and they may not like to hear it and they may think that it's you know we're, we're, we're giving them bad news but it's not bad news this is the reality of the world we're living in and only by understanding it and acting can we prevent bad news yeah finally as i uh, alluded to earlier we checked in with baltimore and the community earlier this week and obviously we do care about the safety of all of our american brethren and citizens obviously but because of the uh, family and friends that uh, that are down in Baltimore that so many people share. Obviously, it is a concern for our community. And I was wondering if, uh, I was really curious what you would say if you were asked this by a member of the general media. In your experience, and you've seen so much over all these decades, uh, wouldn't you agree, and I'm sure you do, but I wish you'd expound on it, wouldn't you agree that what the, the real changes you've seen, the real effective long-term changes you've seen in society have come from the organized, peaceful, large demonstrations that sometimes go on for years because these efforts take time and that the violent demonstrations have never really had a positive effective change the violent demonstrations only destroy and and set back causes uh, i know that it's it in the cases some of these you know the it's youth or it's other people but they're being driven to it if the community, if every mother would have reacted the way that one mother whose picture appears all the time, right. they all would have reacted that way, you would not have had the burning down of, of, of stores and others and destruction of communities, and they will not recover for a long time from it. And it only further demeans and diminishes their lives and the quality of their lives. The, the, the burden for cost of it is, is going to fall on everybody and I. You know, I have a son living there, and I right. have... Uh, many nephews and nieces living there. It's it's a great Jewish community. The schools had to close for a day. The the they, the shuls have to dive in early so that they're back in before the the um, uh, what do you call it curfew. Pardon me, the curfew goes into effect. I think it's at nine o'clock. Um, but we know what the price that is paid from this. We look all over America at the at the price and and who do they punish and and, and the, to destroy a drugstore. That serve the community is is uh, it, it, it shows that there's a lack of leadership on the one hand, but this, res, this resorting to violence can go uh, unchecked gets to be a, a commonplace thing. 
But any effect... I want to say that the one thing that gave me some encouragement was the new Quinnipiac poll, uh, I don't know if you saw it, um, that said uh, that the, the American people want the president to be a strong supporter of Israel by 67 to 20%, and a plurality of them said that they did not think Obama was strong enough in, in support of Israel. And that 63% see Iran as a major threat, and 65% want Congress to play a role. So when we, we look at the general public, we see that, that despite the distortions and misrepresentations and informational uh, um, distortions, the American people are very smart. They ultimately get it. And uh, so we shouldn't assume that, that everybody's falling into the trap and, and the support for Israel remains remarkably high despite the tensions and a lot of the... Yeah, but I don't know if those issues are at the forefront of their minds as much as they care about them when they go into the election booth, that I don't, the voting booth. I'm not sure. I'm, I, not, I'm sure. not saying that that is going to be the criterion which right. they're going to choose the next president. Right, I'm saying right. what they expect Correct. of the president. And, what they and it is a message to candidates. I can assure you that every candidate read this poll this is not like a 50-49, 51-49 right. split. Right. When two-thirds, you, you know, people may say, well, it's not 80-90%. Nothing in America gets 80-90% generally. Right. <sighs> Thank God a week later the world still stands, Malcolm. And we are doing well. <laughs> we'll do better. And please, God, it'll be standing when we speak again next Look, week. We're moving up to Shavuot, so we're going moving. This is uh, always a difficult because we're going up uh, towards Harsinai, so... So I'm not allowed to use my line. I'm not allowed to use. I'm not allowed to use my line today. When someone asks me what Malcolm said, I can't say the world's coming to an end. I'm not allowed to say that today. <laughs> well, people know that I say that as a joke, but but there's there, there, there's plenty there's plenty to worry about as you continue to warn us each week. Well, that's why I worry for everybody so they don't have to. There you go. You're a benevolent man. You're like the Hasidic Rebbe who fasts and his constituents don't have to. You're amazing. <laughs> have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. 7.32 is candlelighting time. 11 hours from now, officially, a lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Today's day 27 in the counting of the Omer, if you forgot to count last night. Make sure to do so sometime today, this time each every Friday, every Erev Shabbos. With great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good, in this case, the Torah portions of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading the two parshios of Achremos and Kedoshim. Wow. Between the two of them, we have a total of 79 mitzvos according to the Chinuch. Parshas Acharimos contains two positive mitzvos and 26 restrictions. You have in it the beginning, the Avodas Yom Kippurim, the special service which took place and, please God, will take place in the third Beis HaMikdash on Yom Kippur, officiated by the Kohen Gadol. And Parshas Acharimos concludes with the Kriyas HaTorah, which we read on Yom Kippur afternoon, that of the Arayos, the prohibited sexual relations. And Parshas Kedoshim, according to the Chinuch, contains 13 positive mitzvos and 38 restrictions. The second parsha, which 
begins with that very powerful heading, Kedoshim Tiyu, you are to be holy. So I just want to make a very interesting observation. If you were to ask the average individual, ask yourself, what does it mean to be holy? So we might take the first word of Rashi, which is Hevuprushim. And before we even get to what you are to be Polish from, but Prushim means to be separate, to separate yourself. So perhaps we might think that the ideal is for the Jew to focus on himself, to withdraw and put himself in that Eiffel Tower. And he is to meditate, contemplate. And we see from Parshas Kedoshim, that there are no less than at least 33 interpersonal relationships under the heading of Kedoshim Tiyu. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be holy to pay your employees, right, on time. What does it mean to be holy? Not to cheat in business. What does it mean to be holy? To be respectful to a parent. What does it mean to be holy? When the Torah says in this parsha of Kedoshim, verse 18, Vosikom Velositor, which in simple English means don't act as adults as if you are still seven years old. Namely, in the realm, in the realm of seven-year-olds, when one asks another, could you please give me, lend me something? And uh, the friend refuses a day later and when the one who refused comes and says could you please lend me this and the other one says come on you didn't lend me I'm not lending you stop perhaps that is natural for seven-year-olds it might be unfortunately natural for adults to conduct themselves in this way. But the Torah tells us, Losikom, the Lositor. Lositor is, sure, I'm not like you. You didn't lend it to me. I will still lend it to you. Both of these are prohibitions. Amazing. How can the Torah legislate towards these practices of man? Which, by the way, no other constitution in the world has. Pinch yourself how proud you should be to be a Jew and to understand that this is part of our constitution. So initially, I'd like to suggest that the Torah can legislate this because, as the verse concludes, Ani Hashem, learn from God Himself, says Hashem to the Jewish people. Learn from me. How so? So I'd like to suggest, says the Tomer Devorah, Look at God's incredible midos. Look at His incredible nature. God gives man the gift of a functioning body. And very often, the individual uses the gifts that God gives him against Hashem. God gives us hands, and the ganav, the thief, uses those hands to steal. And still, God continues to endow the thief with the ability to use his hands.
If this is the way that Hashem conducts Himself with each and every individual, Ani Hashem, we are to emulate God as we find in the 611th mitzvah, and therefore we too have to not simply be big, but we too have to extend kindness even to those who have not shown kindness to us. This is clearly one approach. I'd like to share with you this morning the approach of the Malbim. The Malbim explains what does it mean, Kedoshim Tiyu. So he says very sharply that Kedusha is the individual's ability to separate himself and, not completely, but to raise himself above Darkei HaChomer Vateva, which means the primary focus of man. Am I a materialistic being? Am I like an animal? However, God has endowed me with intelligence. Or no, I have a nefesh. I have a soul. And therefore, my soul which strives to reflect its source, which is the divine God, my approach to life is a very different approach. My approach to life is to sanctify that which is in the realm of materialism. And therefore, I'm able to look at life from a very different perspective. And so, very possibly, in keeping with the way the Rambam in chapter 7 of Hilchos Deos explains the prohibition of taking revenge, he says, wait a second, that a person should look, al olam. you should look at the material world Shakol Eitzel Hamavinim, those who have a true understanding as to what is important and what's less important, what matters and what doesn't matter so much. Divrehevel Havai. In other words, most things which are of a materialistic nature are not worth getting upset about. They're not worth harboring a grudge. They're not worth tarnishing our character. And that's a very interesting approach. How do I look upon life? What am I if I am a person who is part of this quote-unquote world of dog-eat-dog? The larger fish eat the smaller fish. And that's how I conduct myself, me. And that's how I act in business. And that's how I act in all my activities. Or no, I recognize, as the wise King Solomon says in Mishlei, in Proverbs, in the beginning of chapter 18, he says, Pasuk Aleph, L'ta'ava Yevakesh Nifrod. Literally, the one who is separated, separated from this concept of Nefesh Yisrael. There is one large, literally, soul which connects 
all Israel. And therefore, how is it possible if you have to the Riach and literally you should know the Ramban says it's not to be taken literally because the same Rabbi Akiva who Rashi quotes that you have to Riach HaKamocha Zeklau Godol Batorah this is a major principle of the Torah. The same Rabbi Akiva teaches that there are times that Chayecha Kodmim. There are times when your life must take precedence. The famous case in the Gemara of Metziah of two persons going in the desert and a canteen of water belongs to one of them and there's only enough for one to drink. What do they do? So Ben Petura says, what do you mean what they do? The the Torah says you're to love your neighbor as yourself and therefore share the canteen despite the consequences and if you both die that let it be and I'm not going to see my friend die as I wouldn't want him to let me die and therefore we split the water comes Rabbi Akiva and he says no in that situation if the canteen belongs to both of you then by all means you share the canteen but if the canteen belongs to one of you the owner of the canteen must, I'll say it again, the owner of the canteen must take the water for himself, even though he's older and the other person is much younger, and even though he is sick and the other one is healthy, and we can make all kinds of calculations. These calculations are not for you to make, but rather, your life comes first. And this is based on the Pasuk in Bahar, literally your brother is to live with you. You come first. And interestingly, the late Rabbi Vaji Yosef said the same would be true when it comes to mitzvot. It is the night of the Pesach Seder, God forbid, in wartime. It should never, ever happen again. And there's one piece of matzah for two individuals. And who are these two individuals? The son has the one kezayis of matzah and he wants to give it to his father and what does the halacha say? No! Chayecha kodmin your life comes first your physical life comes first your religious life comes first you come first so what does it mean it means says the Ramban you have to live you are to be happy for the next one there are several employees working in an office and one of them will get a bonus and the other ones will not and the one who gets it of course he's happy and how do the other members of that staff the other workers how do they look upon it the ability to actually be happy for the next one as if it's happening to you. Wow! This is such a tall order. How can I do this? The only way, or perhaps one way, that you can do this is because what is my perspective on life? My perspective on life is that I am part of Nefesh Yisrael. I'm one part of a larger body of the composite soul of Israel. And therefore, I can love and I'm obligated to love the next one because we are literally 
parts of the same whole. And just as, understandably, if I am putting a picture on the wall, I have the hammer in my right hand, and I'm holding the nail in my left hand, and my right hand with the hammer hits the nail in the left hand, but instead of hitting the nail on the wall, it hits my nail on my finger. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take my left hand and hit the right hand? Of course not. It's one body. That is the way I'm to look upon my existence. The privilege of being part of Nefesh Yisrael, the privilege of being part of the body of Israel. Literally, one family, one people, one entity. Umi ka'amcha Yisrael, goy echod bo'aretz, the privilege of being part of this, this gives us a very different perspective on life. And the Malbim concludes by saying, my words, his idea, in quoting Dovra Melech in Tilim 23, Hashem Tzilcha, literally, God is your shadow. What does that mean? The way you act, that's exactly the way you're going to act towards Him. It's not easy for a farmer to plant, to get produce, and the first year, he doesn't eat it, and the second year, he doesn't eat it, and the third year, he doesn't eat it. That's called Orla, as we find in this week's parasha. And it's not until the fourth year that he takes the produce to Yerushalayim. This is in this week's parasha, 19, starting with Pesach 23, 24, 25. Amazing! Where does this capacity come from? So the answer is, if I am simply a materialistic individual, it's mine. I bought it, it's my field, I planted it, it's mine, and I want it now. If I'm part of a bigger composite, a bigger soul, cause the Jewish people, then I'm able to not simply wait, I'm able to Kodesh Hilulim Hashem, dedicate it to God. And therefore, says the Malbim, if we conduct ourselves in this way, which is a cut above society, a cut above the nature of man, of quote, dog eat dog, then as we conduct ourselves in this way, please God, Hashem will reciprocate in kind and continue to shower upon the Jewish people His extraordinary blessings. Shabbat Shalom to all.
613, we thank them for being here yesterday. They were pretty remarkable, to say the least. And uh, we thank them for a great live performance. That's uh, that's off of their, I believe, their first of the six albums. I think so. I think it's the first one. If I'm not mistaken. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, uh, day 27 in the counting of the Omer. 27. Three weeks, six days. Uh, acapella season for now will end on a Wednesday. Uh, Thursday will be our Lagba Omer Jewish Music Blowout. Make sure you're with us between 6 and 9 a.m. Did I say 26? Somebody on the app says I said it was day 26. Oh, I hope not. I think I said 27, unless I said 3 and 6, 3 weeks and 6 days. I may have said that. Uh, but it is 27 in the counting of the Omer on this era of Shabbos. Candle lighting at 7.32. Apparently, um, a couple of uh, very popular sources of candle lighting gave the wrong time this week. So be careful what you're reading in terms of the candle lighting time. The right candle lighting time is 7.32 for this week. 7.32 in the New York area. So keep that in mind. We have amazing programming on our stream all day long, I must say. We really have amazing programming. Um... Naomi Nachman on this week's Table for Two, which is coming up um, now in eight minutes. Table for Two with Naomi Nachman. Her guests include Doug Sokolov from Kitchen Sink, Naftali Hanu from Grow and Behold Meats, 
Doug brings a box of uh, delicious food to cook, and Naftali's a trained shochet who talks about his pastured meats. I didn't, I didn't hear any of this conversation yet, but I, I believe I remember the 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 pro, the product that he grows. <laughs> I don't know how we refer to it. Uh, is literally in his backyard, if I'm not mistaken. He uh, shechs his own uh, chickens and stuff. Anyway, uh, it'll all be coming up with explanation uh, between 9 and 10 this morning on Table for Two with Naomi Nachman. Then Kedem presents an incredible Erev Shabbos music mix. To say it's incredible is an understatement, and uh, that happens all the way until candlelighting time. Hey, I encourage uh, all the stores out there, like our friend Leo does at Filler Up on West Englewood Avenue in Teaneck. All the stores out there, you want a great Erev Shabbos music mix to play for your customers? Put us on the Nahum Siegel Network, uh, starting at 10 a.m., all the way until candle lighting with amazing Erev Shabbos selections, in this case, a cappella style for this week. You'll be very glad you did it, and your customers will thank you. They'll say, hey, where are you getting such a great mix of music? So please, hop to it, as they say, and uh, whatever you got out there or up there, Switch it over to jmnam.org and com and enjoy a great mix that Mark Zamek has brilliantly arranged as he does each and every week. And I thank him. Uh, Monday morning we are back starting at 6 a.m. Make sure to join us. There's incredible programming on our stream all through the weekend, including tomorrow night with Saturday Night Siegel. That's Avrami. And Sunday, Matis has a special Pesach Shani edition of JM Sunday. That's right. Matis is getting the matzah ready. Uh, Pesach Sheni is Sunday. Matis has a special Pesach Sheni edition of JM Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time on the stream at jmnam.org. Make sure to be tuned in. ZK tells me that the video is already up. If you go to nachomsegel.com, you can watch the video of uh, Table for Two, uh, which officially begins at 9 a.m. Eastern time. All right, there you have it. So plenty going on, and I thank everybody who continues to be amazing and incredible listeners of our stream all through the day. And those who comment on the NSN app, I say thank you. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM and the AM. Oh.
My brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Wraps up a great program. Thanks to DA Don Dan Donovan of Staten Island for joining us. Thanks, of course, to Malcolm Holmliner, by you and everybody who makes our Friday show so amazing. Uh, plenty coming up next with Naomi Nachman, video form at NachumSiegel.com, audio both there and at jmnam.org. Great Kedem presentation of our Arab Shabbos music mix coming up all day long on the stream at jmnam.org. Make sure to be tuned in. And utilize the NSN app, not just to listen, but to comment on everything that's going on as well. Uh, Matis with JM Sunday, Sunday morning. Avrami has Saturday Night Siegel tomorrow night. Enjoy. We're back here on Mondays. We continue our Sphere format. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend until Monday. Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, trust the future.